0: Are we actually celebrating 100 years? Like, this party has been going on, like, for days and days and days. I'm exhausted.
1: Yeah, we're going to celebrate for 100 years. Why not?
0: We're going uh, to celebrate for 100 years. Yeah, why oh. not? I thought we were celebrating 100 years. It's a 100-year celebration. <laughs> that's, that's, that's going to be a lot of paper products. Yeah. Um, hey, when you were based in DC, did you, um, did you ever go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Was that no. a thing you were ever able to get into? No. I, no. Did you want to go to it?
1: Uh, no. Well, I couldn't go because I wasn't a, a White House correspondent. So right. It's only but before. I thought you
0: might have been dating one or knew one or no friends no. with one. No, no. I knew a lot
1: of people at the Capitol. Uh, yeah. But not not
0: the White House people. That was very. They call it nerd prom, right? Yeah.
1: yeah we talked a lot about it, but I never never had. The, yeah. Uh, Opportunity or interest to go? Really,
0: I didn't watch all of it. I, I will say, I think they could just give the the host job to Trevor Noah permanently because he's funny. He, he had he had some funny uh, lines, and I imagine most most of our listeners probably didn't watch the thing or or watch much of it. But he had some funny lines. The the guy from the Daily Show was the the host of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. But the takeaway in the news today is that you had Biden and his team sitting there. While Trevor Noah is cracking jokes about how terrible the economy is, about how high inflation is, about gas prices, and Biden's laughing and slamming the table and having to drink water, like, no, no, stop, you're making my sides hurt. This is so funny. And then there were some stories over the weekend about how, and this was this sort of went with the 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 monologue at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. There were stories over the weekend about how this. Political mess that that Joe Biden is in this these terrible poll numbers and this perfect storm of events that appears to be, uh, dooming the Democrats in the midterms. This was all stuff, according to the reports, that Biden and his team were warned about, like at the beginning, like after they won the election and during the transition and when they were first taking office. Now he's been in almost a year and a half, right? But they were told. All the indicators are there for inflation, for uh, shortages, for gas prices. And so goes the reporting. They didn't do anything about it or they didn't have a plan or they said they had a plan, but they really didn't. Kind of sounds like the Afghanistan evacuation, right, where the military people were like, sir, this isn't going to work, you can't do it this way, and they were blithely Hold off, and and oh, we we know what we're doing. We've got this. It's going to be fine. And it was a disaster. Turns out Afghanistan was like a microcosm for the way this this uh, White House operates. When they say they have a plan, you can be pretty sure they don't. Or or maybe their plan is some sort of intentional chaos, and and they're crashing things and creating uh, a situation that they then plan to exploit. I guess you could look at it that way as well. But you know, I was thinking about this over the weekend. And when you, when you really break it down, we're, we're currently being governed by people who only know and are only good at solving problems they define. So when they can create a, a, a so-called panic or crisis, when they can define it, they can then solve it or come to the rescue of it, with one of their phony baloney schemes in other words they can virtue signal or they can create a board or they can have a study or they can give a speech or they can tweet something out they're good at their own uh, self-created crises and problems i mean they believe that white supremacy is the number one uh, terror threat to america so They're addressing that. They're robustly addressing that. but That isn't a real problem. The real problems that people are dealing with, the inflation, the gas prices, the shortages, the feeling that the streets are not safe, people who live in suburbs not wanting to go into cities, people in cities trying to move out of them, those are real things. And you can't fake solution your way out of them. You can't. Kamala Harris your way out of them you can't virtue signal your way out of them and that's their dilemma for whatever reason they don't have any answers for what's really what what people are talking about at the dinner table at night and it's not that there aren't any answers you shouldn't think for one minute that nobody knows what to do but the people in charge they really don't know what to do and so That also explains another big story of the last several days, which is this this meltdown, this this uh, panic over Elon Musk and Twitter. And there was a guy on CNN; they were having some discussion about it. I don't know who this guy is, and his eyes were bulging, and he was sweat; he was all sweaty. You know, he he looked like (laughs) he looked like he was going to stroke out and he was just raving about how awful this is that Elon Musk will go on Twitter. Take a listen to this. This is what he sounded like.
2: No, I think there's a bigger problem that when we focus on the personalities of people like Elon Musk and people say, oh, I think Elon's thinking this or that, there's a bigger problem here about how we are going to control the channels of communication in mm-hmm. this country. In 1927, we had the Radio Act. 1934, the Communications Act. Congress stepped in. We made rules. FCC wasn't great, but it's still regulating the broadcast industry. You right. can't use vulgar language. You can't do all these things with speech. We gave over our uh, what to our airwaves or our Internet waves to Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. Okay. And we are in so much trouble. Because those guys believe in making money. We've already seen that with the 2016 election Mm. in Zuckerberg when he was taking rubles for ads from Russia and saying, oh, I think it's crazy to think they had any influence on this election. Mm. Musk is the same. Musk doesn't want to, oh, you know, he's upset with the SEC, tried to, how dare they question him? You know what I'm saying? This is dangerous. We can't think anymore in this country. We don't have people, no, I'm serious. We don't have people in Congress. Who can make regulations that can make it work? I think we can look to the Western countries in Europe for how they are trying to limit it. But you need, you need controls on this. You need regulation. You cannot let these guys control discourse in this country or we are headed to hell. We are there. Trump opened we are the gates and now to hell, they're chasing us down. He, he said,
0: we are, we are headed to hell. I thought I was watching one of the Sunday morning preacher shows. We're headed to hell. When's the last time you heard anybody say that on CNN? By the way, I guess CNN is one place where they really don't care about making money because look at CNN Plus. But seriously, we're headed to hell. We can't let these guys control discourse in this country, says the sweaty, bald guy. Now, it really sounds to me like these are people who knew the people who were controlling the discourse before, and they weren't worried about it because they knew that those guys and gals wouldn't do anything to them. Right? So somebody was controlling the discourse. We didn't have a name, but we know it was happening. If you were ever shadow banned or deplatformed, you know. I know. But these people were okay with that. I never heard this guy. I never saw this guy in my life. He's he's a raving maniac. But, I mean, these people were nowhere to be found when there was actual censorship, when there was actual deplatforming. If you're not against it when it's actually happening, you're not believable coming out against it as a hypothetical. So they knew the people. They were in with that crowd that were doing it before, and they had no problem with it. All of a sudden, because they don't know who will be doing it now, they don't know who or how it will be done. Musk says it won't be done, but who knows? He may just bring in different people or different rules, right? But now they're clearly panicked because now they might be challenged. They might have to defend the things they say. Their stuff might get questioned or or just taken down. Nothing has happened yet. He hasn't done anything yet. The panic tells you everything you need to know about how much, how many fingers they had on the scale before. And they're not ashamed to admit that they want control. The panic is, we want to be in charge of your free speech. And by the way, free speech, all of a sudden, when somebody says free speech, oh, you (laughs) right-winger, when did that become a right-wing slogan I mean, I know I know, we're in very polarized times, but I'm so old I remember when people across the spectrum thought free speech was a good thing. Everybody claimed free speech. Everyone claimed to be a defender of free speech. All of a sudden now, if you you say free speech, it's like code for white guys. And it's incredible. So the petulance and the panic... Oh, by the way, over a guy that was their hero not long ago... Tells you what is going on right now. These are people whose reign is in jeopardy. And they probably feel like it's all getting away from them. Everything they worked for, and they didn't work very hard, you know, they went to the right schools, they made the right connections, but everything they, in their mind, they worked very hard for. And their feeling of superiority that. You should trust them, but no one else. It's all in jeopardy, and, and and I'm here to tell you, I don't know that it really is, but I'm just telling you that's how they are acting. And then we had the uh, the news about the disinformation board that came out over the week uh, over the week last week. The government disinformation board, and over the weekend, Secretary Mayorkas went on some of the Sunday shows, and he. Fell on his sword. I don't know if he decided to do this, or they told him he had to do it. But he's now saying the reason there's a uh, uh, you know a a virulent anger and reaction is because he didn't explain it right. He didn't communicate properly what this disinformation board um, would do or what what it would be for. I've noticed over the years doing this job that when politicians say Oh 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 you 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 didn't understand me, it usually means we understood them perfectly right like when when they claim they were taken out of context or we the people didn't get the the nuance um I think we got it. I don't think there's any confusion. I don't think you're struggling with this. I think as soon as you heard this. Um it, it it pushed a button, it, it struck a chord, and it reminded you of things you've seen in other countries. It reminded you of things you've been warned could happen in this country. There's a lot of people who have a father or grandfather who fought the greatest war as part of the greatest generation. They fought against things so that those things would never come here and they see those things coming the guy that was losing it on cnn is is one of their media analysts named david Zerowick. and uh he says if you let these guys control the discourse in this country we're headed to hell there's so much in that rant you know he he talks about we need to have speech laws like they have in europe which is a real that to me is a sad thing to hear an american say Because what you're saying when you say, I wish our freedom of speech was like that of Europe's, you're saying, I wish we had less of it. Europe has a permission-based freedom of speech. Europe has a check with the government first. Europe licenses speech. Speech is a privilege. You can have it unless unless you don't, unless you lose it. But the other problem with what this guy is talking about, he's saying we've got to have regulation, we got to have regulation, there's got to be regulation, we've always regulated communication. He says when radio came along, we passed laws, the airwaves were governed, television was added to that, the FCC, the Communications Act. Let me tell you something. I don't know if he's ignorant or he just hopes that you are, but, but let me let me lay it out for you. When the government started regulating electronic communication about 100 years ago, it was regulating something that was new, and it was regulating it for the purpose of its expansion. Let me say that again. The whole point of regulating radio and You've heard us say KTSA is turning 100. A lot of radio stations are turning 100 this year because broadcast radio is turning 100 this year. And in the beginning, it was in a growth mode. It was something people wanted, and the regulation was to get it out there. And if you didn't regulate the the coverage pattern of radio station A, you wouldn't be able to have radio station B over here and radio station C over there. So the first, the first order of business was to make sure that there was a lot of radio, that there was radio for everyone, that you could get radio in the country, you could get radio in rural areas, you could get it in this city, in that state. And then the rules about what you could do on the radio... The rules about content. He, he mentions they regulate language. You can't you can't say the f word. Okay, th- that's true. But that's also uniformly true, meaning that's true for everyone. The government didn't say some radio stations or the ones we agree with or the, or the ones that are owned by our crone See what I mean? So the the if you want to invoke the past, you have to understand the past, and the past was. Equal treatment under the law. The past was, we're going to make technical rules, we're going to make content rules, but we're going to enforce them on everybody. There's not going to be any exceptions. I get asked a lot, well, how come they can say stuff on cable? Because it's not over the air. It's regulated differently. How come they can say stuff on Sirius XM? Because it's not over the air. It's regulated differently. But the airwaves were defined as public property. So they're governed the way, like streets are governed. Think of the airwaves we're broadcasting over, if you're listening to us on AM or FM, like streets. And there's rules, but the rules are the same for everyone, right? Everyone has to obey the speed limit. Everyone has to have this. Everyone has to do that. Everyone has to stop at the red light. So I, I don't know if this guy really doesn't know that. It's hard to believe, but he certainly thinks you won't know it. And, again, it just sounds like people who are afraid their little, you know, time in the sun is coming to an end. And if they are right, if they believe that Elon Musk is going to take us to hell, then why don't they also have confidence In themselves, in their in the power and the truth of their of their utterances. Why are they not going into this with their heads held high? Like, well, people are going to need us now more than ever because we'll tell them the truth. He, He he didn't buy CNN, and it's really funny because. I've had people say to me over the last week, you're talking about this Twitter thing too much. Uh, nobody cares. It's not that important. Twitter may not be that important to you, but Twitter is important to things that are important to you. It defines and, and, and sets the agenda for the news you get wherever you get it. But I predict that now, you watch, if he does any of the things they're afraid he's going to do, these people are going to pivot and tell you that Twitter is not important. You're going to hear for the first time since it was invented, people in corporate media railing against new media. Don't use Twitter. Don't go there. Don't be on there. Don't believe. These are the people that made it what it is today, and they're very reliant on it, lazily so, in fact. But now they're going to tell you, "Ah, don't even even look at that. It's not worth your time. People that five seconds ago were kept reminding you of their Twitter handle. It would say it at the bottom of the screen, right? Everybody that was on television, Twitter handle, bottom of the screen. I'm predicting that will all go away if he does even some of the things they think he's going to do. 210-599-5555. We're asking you on the JR poll today about forgiving student loans. We're going to get into that uh, and why that's come up again, why that is in the news again today. Uh, there is a big Supreme Court decision that is either about freedom of speech or freedom of religious expression, or maybe both. Um, it was a unanimous decision. I'll tell you what happened and what they said. And uh brand-new book, uh, just out, uh, A Spy in Plain Sight, the inside story of the FBI and Robert Hansen, America's most damaging Russian spy. Couldn't be more timely. i got to ask Lee Sweel right off the bat. How in the world did you know to release a book about a Russian spy in the FBI in the middle of in the middle of a war a land war in Europe with Russia you look like a psychic Uh
3: well Jack no <laughs> not at all um sadly yeah it's pretty relevant right now but yeah. you know man I've been researching this thing for um two and a half years so
0: uh <laughs> I could tell by the I mean it's a great book and I could tell you spent a lot of time with this story but it it somehow becomes even more I don't know yeah. urgent or relevant right now um I, I there's it so has. much I want to I want to ask you about this I hope we'll have time but you you say something very interesting about um how this high ranking uh seemingly solid citizen guy uh, got away with it for so long. You say in the book, the FBI has almost no capacity to investigate itself. And what does that mean, and is that still true, even after everything that not only ha- happened with him, but more recent releva- uh, re- you know, re- uh, revelations? Yep. Are, are they still blind to their own innards?
3: Less blind to their own innards than before Hansen, of course, because that just exposed them. And, and I speak, you know, with great admiration for the line agents of the FBI, the guys and gals that are out there, you know, protecting us every day. My dad was one of them. I worked with them as a federal prosecutor. So we're not talking about everybody in the FBI, you know, hardly anyone, but, you know, the high-level people, the one that are, ones that are political appointees, um, you know, they have their victims to watch, and they just didn't want to look internally when they saw Russian assets were being killed because of this guy, this mole, Hansen, and, you know, secrets that clearly were being infiltrated. And they just didn't want to think that it could be one of their own. I mean, once you're in the FBI, it's this very much trust atmosphere, which for the most part is a good thing because you do need to trust your partner and the people that you're working with and you're working on these high level national security things but you've got to trust but verify yeah. you know to coin the phrase because if you don't something like this can happen again and that Jack what was so shocking to me when I did this um, research and thank you so much because I can tell you really read the book was. You know, I asked them all, all of these people, um, past and present FBI and CIA operatives, can there be another Hanson today? You know, this is, you know, mm-hmm. now in real real life I'm asking this. And they all said yes, and then mm-hmm. many followed up with, and there probably already is. Yeah. And that was scary to me before we were in this conflict as we are now with Russia.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it is um, one of the most disturbing things about The man whose portrait you paint is how ordinary and unnoticeable he is. You 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 describe a guy who even the people who worked with him didn't really know him. Uh, No one, you say, knew the whole person. Certain people knew certain aspects of his personality. Um, And and we should be clear he wasn't a um, he wasn't James Bond, right? He was he was a desk bound guy most of his career um and
3: that was one of the things that that, that you know he got to the top secrets because and this is filter right. of the fbi they they don't really like computerization they're not great at it they're they're great at solving things right knocking down doors and making arrests computers not so much and hansen was you know a geek a guru at that mm-hmm. and they said just let him let him go with it well if you let somebody like that Go with your computers. You're letting them go with all the access to everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really a bad thing for them to be doing. Uh, you tell stories point. in the
0: book about he's, he's looking at stuff he's not supposed to be looking at, gets caught, and says, well, I'm just testing the security. I'm just checking yeah. out. I'm just showing you. See how see how loose and lax your security is. I mean, he, he had an answer for it. I, I even I think the thing that maybe was most frustrating was... As you describe the the unfolding of this case, they they, they begin to realize somebody is betraying assets and agents, and they give this investigation a name. I think it was Gray Suit, right? Operation Gray Suit. Uh At one point, he's in charge of it.
3: Yeah, he's in charge of watching for himself. So, of course, he knows exactly what they're doing. And then when they uh, look to somebody else, a CIA agent, Ryan Kelly, as potentially being the guy, he knows that he's all over that, and he's happy to keep you know pointing the finger at, at an innocent man. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with his widow because he died. You know, um, she just said this just ruined him. I mean, here is a mm-hmm. man that you know was up law abiding, was upstanding, and they, the CIA and the FBI, said, "No, this is our mole," which of course it wasn't, but it just killed him. I mean, it, it killed him.
0: You also describe, he had a relationship, um, Robert Hansen did, with another author, uh, a very well-known author uh, of books about espionage and intelligence named James Bamford. And, and right. Bamford and he become, as much as anybody is a friend of Robert Hansen's, they become friends. And here is somebody again who you would think, right, would be good at detecting BS or mm-hmm. something's not mm-hmm. right. What what is your read on why people were right next to Robert Hansen and just didn't smell anything?
3: Well, I think you sort of said it when you kind of said he's just an ordinary guy. You know, he didn't he didn't appear to well, what I mean, I don't know what a spy looks like other than, you know, I watched James Bond too, but he certainly was no James Bond. And, you know, devout Catholic Opus Day five kids that went to private schools you know a wife that didn't work and you know took care of the kids and mean didn't work outside the home and and you know said he hated the commies that's what he called them and and uh you know to out, outward appearances didn't really make any waves didn't really make any big moves but walked the you know walked the walk and talked the talk um but of course that's not what he was doing in his other life and 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 you know you also kind of alluded to it in your intro, he was so ordinary that this is what frightens me as well, that the motivations that we're talking about with this guy, you know, money, um, sure. But also the allure of the James Bond feeling like a disgruntled employee. He wasn't happy. He mm-hmm. didn't think that his colleagues liked him enough, appreciated him enough, wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. All of those motivations are, were peculiar to Hanson, but they're not peculiar to personhood, right? They, they, mm-hmm. Those are motivations that are with people today. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a wake up call, I think, for all of us.
0: You know, he almost sounded, in your description of him in the book, and the book is A Spy in Plain Sight, just out today, Lee Wheel with us on KTSA. He almost sounded a little bit like the profile of people that shoot up their workplace. I, yes. I'm not appreciated. Yes, yes. I'm not, yep. uh, you know, I, I'm too good for this. I'll show these people. And, and he, he did it in a way, you know, you could say in a sense, he did shoot up his workplace, just not literally, but he caused the death of people who were in service to this country, who were working on our interests abroad. He knew he was doing that. He was giving the Russians things that he knew led directly to torture and death. He was, he was essentially right. that kind of guy.
3: That's right. You know, it's interesting you say that because I had never thought about it like that in the context of, you know, people who randomly then go to their in their workplace and shoot people up. But you know, you're right, and it's sort of the same motivations and the wanting to be recognized. You know, and he wasn't recognized by his colleagues, but boy, the Russians just loved him. Mm -hmm. you know, close it up to him. You you know, you've read the letters that are in the book that mm-hmm. you know, they're between he and the Russians that are just, you know, familial and oh, we're so grateful to have you in our family and all this stuff. He got the he got the love from them that he wasn't getting from yeah. his colleagues. Yeah. But how ridiculous is that? I mean it's it's so warped. Um and and I think and speaking of warped, I think another one of his motivations and I got this from his uh psychiatrist, Doctor David Charney was he felt like if I show up the uh, uh, if I show the Americans, you know how uh, faulted or how faulty where our faults are, and because the Russians are going to expose them after I give them this information, I'll actually be in the end helping my country. Again, crazy methodology mm-hmm. of thinking, mm-hmm. but I think that if we're talking about a deranged mind. I think that was part of it for him.
0: But you um.
3: The Russians, our weaknesses, will actually uh, actually improve our country.
0: Yeah! Wow. I um, I, I was I was intrigued by as the noose is closing on him, as they begin to to build a case. Of course, he's still going to work every day, and they're trying to put him in a position where he won't do too much harm while they build the case. Right. They have to catch him in the act of actually picking up and dropping off at one of the drop off locations, and he says something just surreal to the agents that take him into custody. When they finally confront him and he knows he's the, the you know the, the the game is over, what does he say to
3: them? He says, What took you so long? What took you so long? Yeah. I mean, so one more act of,
0: of derision, one more statement of you you idiots,
3: you know. You idiots, right, right. I mean I, I think he felt like a lot of his colleagues were, you know, beneath him and not that smart. And, you know, this was a way of, of him showing even even at his arrest, even at his arrest, I'm smarter than you are. You know, it took you this long to figure out that it was me when I was right under your nose. Um, I wish I could have spoken with him because that that would have been great. His plea agreement with the government, with our government, says that he can't speak to anybody because, mm-hmm. you know, he still has secrets he's carrying around. Um, but it would have been fascinating if, if I'd been able to do that.
0: So he's in a supermax forever. He's never getting out, right?
3: No, exactly. What he happened is, with his family? He, 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 what,
0: what's the status of things with his family?
3: Well, I'm glad you asked that. His kids are okay. They seem to be living normal lives. His wife, Bonnie, is still his wife. She never divorced him. She, I think, she goes to visit him, according to some FBI um, sources that I have. But what kind of sticks in my craw a little bit is that part of our plea agreement with her was that she gets his pension. So we're paying for her, you know, we're paying, I, I have nothing against Bonnie per se. I don't know that she really, after the first time she caught him, knew what was going on. But, I, you know, that we're paying um, his pension out, I, I don't quite understand that, but that was part of our plea agreement yeah. with him to get him to talk.
0: I won't give away everything. I mean, he, he, they had a very strange, very strange uh, relationship very. Um, you would think. Uh, I guess I just find, and again, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to spoil it for people that haven't read it. You would think that she would not be loyal. I don't know. I mean she she's been humiliated, disgraced, left in the lurch. Uh, oh,
3: he did other terrible things to I mean, yeah, on you know, the book. I mean, but you know, kind of used her as a little bit of a porn star. I mean, unbeknownst but to. But you her. say
0: she exactly. is. She's she's like she's almost like she's waiting for him.
3: Uh, Well, he's never getting out, but, um, yeah, I know she never, I mean, it's one thing to remarry. Maybe, maybe, you know, she wouldn't find somebody else or didn't find somebody else, but she never divorced him. Um, I don't know. It's, it's strange, but again, she caught him once and they Mm -hmm. went to a priest and the priest said, well, that's bad, don't do it again, you know, don't spy. Mm-hmm. But if you give the money to the church, um, you know, your sins will be... Assault. You struggled
0: with that, I could tell, that the priest um, believed that was just a, a confessional moment, not a crime that needed to be reported. And um, I, I, I could tell in the reading of it, between the lines, she, she's not good with this.
3: No, I'm not. I mean, I know there is, you know, there's the, the confessional and... But it really wasn't that. It was kind of more of a meeting. If anything, it was for Bonnie, you know, his wife. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he just said, don't do it again and give the money over to the church. And, he, you know, he did. But then he, he stopped for a little bit and then he started again. I mean, think of the people whose lives would have been saved if he had, right. you know, been armor or, you know, the secrets that would not have been sold. I mean, it's right. just, yeah, I, I don't. I, I I have an issue with that priest. I'm sorry.
0: All right, I got to save the rest for people to read the book. <laughs> we don't want to give them all give it all for free. But anyway, a spy in plain sight. Lease wheel. It's new. It's just out. Um, even if you remember this story from the news and you're thinking, oh, I I followed that at the time. Believe me, you're going to learn a lot more uh, about it in this book. And great job with it. And thank you for making time with thank us today.
3: You. Oh, Jack, anytime. Thank you.
0: Um, we got a lot of email over the weekend about the interviews we did with Elise. Chan and uh, Mark DeRazio, the two Republican runoff candidates for the state house. Um, Rodney says, I don't know. I think I'm going with Chan. I don't trust this guy. Uh, There's so many rhinos. He says, I'm so rhino burnt. I just don't know anymore. Rhino burnt. Uh, Joe says, um, the questions you asked Mark DeRazio were really softballs for anybody with any conviction. Uh, Randall says, he convinced me to vote for the other candidate. Um, And we had some people, too, that that were uh, more in favor of him. But but the the takeaway from most people seem to be that these two uh, candidates, Elise Chan and Mark DeRezio, both Republicans, both self-labeled as conservatives, just don't seem to be able to, um, you know, answer questions questions straightforwardly and and you know i i thought about it and i was reading the emails and like i said some people were mad at me some people were mad at one of the candidates or both of the candidates i think part of our problem is that we are drowning we are drowning in a sea of people who call themselves and things that call themselves conservative And you're looking for that word because you consider yourself conservative, perhaps. But it it does no good. If everyone's a conservative, then no one is. And if you can just say it and there's no way of, of proving it, what does it mean? And frankly, I I mean, let's cut to the chase. There aren't going to be any Republican candidates who aren't, who aren't, who are going to say, well, I'm not a conservative. You know, that's, so they're all they're all going to say it, but we're going to have to get better at determining who really is. And and I think part of it is when they say it, don't just say, "Oh, thank God, I'm glad to hear that." Push back. Well, what, what are you conserving? What you're conservative about? What? Give me examples. You know, in her case, it, there were questions about why she would have donated to Hillary Clinton in the past. That's that's a legitimate question. I mean, maybe you weren't where you are today on the spectrum. Okay, we'll explain that. We'd like to know how you made that journey. Uh and then uh, you know uh, the other guy just not wanting to answer questions, pretending he couldn't hear them. Uh so anyway, we're drowning in a sea of people who call themselves conservative but may or may not be and that's that's a big challenge for those people that are out there trying to vote. Um we're going to get a look at the um Nine zip Supreme Court ruling today. Is it a speech ruling? Is it a religious freedom ruling? Is it both? We're going to talk some more about the government disinformation board. We welcome now to the show our constitutional law expert, Professor Bill Pyatt on the KTSA Connecticut quality water softeners newsmaker line. And Professor, we have a nine to nothing Supreme Court ruling. That always gets everybody's attention in these polarized times that we live in. Um, about a uh, case in Boston where the the city hall had a program uh where different groups could be could have their flag on the city flagpole the the pole that uh flies the city flag occasionally could fly your flag your organization's flag and they flew various uh different uh ones again by their invitation until they denied um a group uh that was a christian group uh, called um a uh, camp constitution and a group that says they celebrate judeo-christian heritage they were denied the opportunity to fly their flag in this diversity program in boston did the supreme court today professor rule on religious liberty or freedom of expression or both
4: um, i think literally on freedom of speech but of course implicitly on the free exercise of religion and as you pointed out the city denied this request to fly the flag, although they had granted permission to all of the close to 300 other applicants that had ever applied. So it's only when a Christian group wants to fly a flag that the city decides it's not going to allow that. And as you point out, this is a unanimous decision. It was an opinion written by a very prominent liberal, Justice Breyer, who assumed retiring from the court. And as a result, there really is no way that this opinion could be fairly characterized as being political. Rather, mm-hmm. it's a clear victory for freedom of speech, clear victory for free exercise of the right to, uh, to exercise our religious practices.
0: So, it, it to me, it was it was kind of a nice thing that Justice Breyer, on his way out the door, writes this opinion. They all are, are in agreement. I, I can remember; you probably can too. When we had a, a, a broad you know, across the spectrum uh agreement in this country about the notion of free speech, the beauty of it, the importance of it, it's it's become polarizing and it and it never should have. uh but what's the takeaway from this? Like what 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 would you think might uh is this a case that could encourage other litigants or 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 have an impact on other cases, or is it so unique Because they did, as you point out, accept every other application except this one. Is it so unique that it has no broader application?
4: No, I think it has a very broad application, especially when you consider all the other recent Supreme Court cases where the court has upheld this right of expression, um, including the uh, school-age girl who criticized her teachers, made an obscene gesture, and yet her First Amendment rights were protected in a forum away from the campus. The Supreme Court is making it real clear that this First Amendment right that we have to express ourselves, to organize, to petition for redress of grievances, to exercise our religion, it's not something to be taken lightly. The court is not going to dilute it, notwithstanding the efforts of petty bureaucrats to try to stop people from expressing themselves.
0: The, the Boston lawyer, the, the lawyer for the city, I should say, uh, tried to argue, among other things, that the city was being careful not to signal any endorsement of this religious group's, um, you know, relig- I guess you'd say religion. Um, would this have any, th- w- would you read anything from this ruling into the case that's still before the court of the football coach who was kneeling in silent prayer on the sidelines, the high school football coach, I'm sure you've heard of this case, and uh, was told he couldn't do that. And his case is also seen as both a freedom of expression and freedom of religion case. Do you read anything into what they might do with him based on what they've said here today?
4: Yes, if I was that coach or his attorneys, I would be very, very encouraged. Um, the, The notion that government can't stop people from speaking, can't stop people from expressing themselves, especially if there's a religious component. I mean, I've heard the argument, what happens if a coach takes a knee? Is there anybody in their right mind that thinks the school is going to punish that coach for taking a knee? And on the other hand, if he's taking a knee to pray, is it such a situation that the, the Board of Education can't stand to see someone pray? where they could stand to see someone kneel to object to well, racism. Well,
0: I know they've I know they've tried to suggest th- in that case as the lawyer for the city of Boston tried to suggest we don't want anything to look like an official endorsement of any religion or religious activity. We can't we can't have anybody think that the coach is is telling these kids you need to do this.
4: Well, in the Boston case, the Yeah, what the the court said is that it was a public forum. Once the city of Boston opens those flagpoles, invites people to express themselves, then they can't turn around and discriminate based on the viewpoint of the speaker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think similarly, even though a football field is not in that same sense a public forum, but if people can cheer for their team, if they can yell out loud, if they can express themselves – If they could kneel to protest racism, it's kind of a stretch to say, yes, but you can't get down and pray to your God, because that's a violation of the Constitution.
0: Talking with uh, Professor Bill Pyatt on KTSA. Now, the other thing I want to get into quickly with you, obviously, last week we had the story about the Government Disinformation Board being housed in the Department of Homeland Security uh there was great consternation about that over the weekend the homeland security secretary was in damage control mode saying oh no no it's not it's not like it sounds it's no big deal it's an internal paper pushing thing um what 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 was your takeaway when you first heard about it and what if any i don't know power or force could something like that have
4: all right my first reaction was disbelief <laughs> The notion that the government would set itself up as the arbiter of what is misinformation, thus having a chilling effect on people's speech because we're afraid we're going to get monitored and told that we're mm-hmm. spreading misinformation. And What are they going to do if they conclude somebody is spreading
0: misinformation? Right, do we go to right.
4: jail? Do we get kicked off our, out of our jobs? What happens? I, I think they... They have some, the government has a legitimate interest in prohibiting communications of commission of crimes. For example, they can intercept, they can get judicial ordered wiretaps, they can arrest people for conspiracy, for planning to, to violate the criminal laws. But circulating, quote, misinformation, on what criteria is something misinformation? I mean, this turns the First Amendment completely on its head, mm-hmm. where the founder thought that Congress has no right. To make a law regarding freedom of speech or limiting our right to exercise our religion, this disinformation board turns that on its head and gives government the power to arbitrate what speech is going to be legitimate mm-hmm. and what's going to be misinformation. I think ultimately any act by that board outside of narrow enforcement or criminal laws is going to be held to be unconstitutional.
0: So um, would it take, would it require the board to, first of all, I, I question whether they'll even form it. I have, the, I have the feeling this may, this may get killed under the weight of its own criticism. But um, if they form the board and the board acts against someone in some way that we can only imagine right now, would that have to happen before there could be a challenge in the courts?
4: No. Uh, in, in the First Amendment cases, people have been held to have standing to challenge laws and actions when there is just a chilling effect placed on their speech, you don't have to wait till they're actually punished for the speech. Mm -hmm. You can show that the government action prohibits people, intimidates people, chills people, and prohibits them from exercising their First Amendment right, that person could bring an action, and the courts would hear it.
0: So um, you said your first reaction was disbelief. I think everybody would agree with you on that. Um, Does it say something about the state of people's Uh, awareness of or understanding of their own rights that politicians in 2022 would even try to get away with this i mean this doesn't seem like something that in the past as much as they might have wanted to do it they'd have even tried to do it
4: well i think you're right and my personal observation is because people are becoming used or accustomed to having facebook Twitter and other social media censor speech by declaring something to be misinformation, then you take the next step and have the government. And a lot of people don't really make the distinction between the two of those and think, okay, well, this is some people may think, well, this Mm -hmm. is just another attempt to stop bad information from being spread, Mm -hmm. ignoring the reality that a lot of the misinformation that's been spread in the last couple of years has come from the government.
0: Right. And, you know, if you go back to the use of the word disinformation in the Cold War, it was something that was, uh, it, w- it was a weapon wielded by our enemies. And certainly, um, the government had a legitimate and compelling interest to counter disinformation from, say, the Soviet Union, or maybe today from, from Communist China. Um, but the way they did it, as you know, was with disinformation in many cases. So... Um, it almost felt like they were saying, we're putting this in Homeland Security because this is like an act of war and we're defending you, we're protecting you. And I think if they spin it that way, there are people who will think, well, yeah, we have, there are foreign actors out there that are are putting, uh, you know, Uh, flooding the the airwaves with bad information, we must be protected. Just like we have to protect ourselves against against them hacking into our e-commerce. I think there are people that will see it that way.
4: Uh, Unfortunately, I think you're right. Uh, I think I'm hopeful that the majority of people, and especially people who have some basic understanding of the First Amendment, will see what a tremendous potential for abuse, the creation of this board, and the attempt to criticize and, to suppress the speech of American citizens on topics that have nothing to do with the, you know, the very critical mentions, the things that you mentioned, or criminal law violations, I'm hopeful that enough people will see through that, that as you suggest, maybe this board won't even get off the ground.
0: Yeah. Professor Bill Pyatt, always appreciate the time, sir. Thank you tonight. Thank you. Are you for or are you against the president's plan to forgive student loans he's uh resurrected this idea it's not hard to see why right i mean the, the the poll numbers are in the dumpster he's taken a huge hit with young voters that's a group the democrats need if they're going to have any chance of keeping their heads above water in the midterms and in 2024 this is something the democrats have been dangling in front of younger voters for a long time uh, other rivals for the Democratic nomination that Biden had in 2020. They said they would do this. The squad has, has criticized him for not already doing it. So he's going to try to forgive, um, ma- a massive amount of student loan debt. What do you think? How do you feel about that? 210-599-5555. Um, I thought it was interesting. The last time we talked about this, I had somebody say to me, w- Why are you upset about this? I mean, what do you care? Because I'm not in college and I don't have student loan debt. So I should just go along with this. You know, I should, I should just get out of the way. Um, and I, and I, I, said, I believe that, that the, the, the person saying that was sincere. In other words, I, it's a crazy thing to say, and I'll explain why in a minute. But I'm sure that's how they feel, like well, just just let us have this. We don't want to pay these these exorbitant loans, or we or you know we don't feel we can, so just let us do this, and I think you have to believe that student loan debt is is a unique kind of debt, but it's not you know, I could see if people were horn swoggled or didn't know what they were signing or it was usury but the people that went into this knew what they were doing and adults in their lives knew what they were doing now you might say they sold us uh, a bill of goods about the value of a college degree or that this particular degree would be worthwhile and it turns out it's not i understand that and we can talk about we can talk about why so many people went into so much debt and I'm willing to have that discussion. But I, I'm sorry. I, you not wanting to pay for your student loan is like me not wanting to pay my mortgage. I don't want to. It's it's heavy. I really would rather not. I'd like somebody to forgive it. I'll just keep the house and stay and keep living in the house, but no more no more mortgage. Why can't we have that? That would make my life much easier. You know... One of the things about this that is sad and ironic is we're living in a time where there's a lot of talk about equity, right? This idea that we need income equity and we have to fight against sort of privilege, you know, built-in or systemic privileges in our society. When they've studied student loan forgiveness it worsens economic inequity student debt is disproportionately in the upper middle and upper class of our country so when you wipe college loans out you are enriching upper middle income and upper income people at the expense of people that didn't even go to college people that are just working and paying their bills. It's still true, believe it or not, that only a minority of Americans have a college degree, and only a minority of them have an advanced degree. So when we, when we look at the uh, outstanding student debt, over half of it is people with advanced degrees. It's a minority within a minority. And we're talking about making people who had no part in that pay for it. And then we also know, inflation is in the headlines these days, this would be massively inflationary. And if you think college is already too expensive, we also know that every time the government has put money into aid, it drives up tuition. So the net result, you can easily see where this is going, of student loan forgiveness is more income inequity, more inflation, and higher tuition, which will necessitate what? More student borrowing in the future. And no politician is talking about ending that. No one is saying, you know, we really need to get, we need to work this from the other end. We need to start questioning whether it's a good idea to borrow and spend so much money on a degree that might not even make you employable, much less able to pay back the loan. So you want to know why I care about it, even though I don't have this particular kind of debt? That's why. Because I don't like to see what it will do to other people. I don't even like to see what it will do to the people who will think it's good for them. This is the most cynical discussion we're having in politics today because it is the haves screwing the have-nots while pretending to help them, pretending to care. Forgive my language, but that's what it is. The president's plan to forgive student loan debt. And um, the uh, the debate is interesting because um, it really is obviously an attempt to buy or buy back the support of young voters, I don't know if it'll work, but I, I I have to believe that's what this is about. That's what's intended here. The Democrats are losing a block that they have been able to count on, that they've run way, way, way ahead of Republicans on. Um And they've promised this and flirted with it for so long that people now think uh it, it just ought to have already happened. What are your thoughts about that? Um I love when people talk about uh, about those of us that paid our way through college or didn't incur debt as if we were just lucky. I've heard people say it, and we've discussed this before. Well, you're lucky you don't have debt yourself, but I do. Or nice that you don't have it, but I do. And you don't understand. And there's two kinds of people that don't have student loan debt. People that didn't go to college and people that did but paid or worked or went a little at a time without incurring the debt. We weren't lucky. We made a choice, just like you did when you signed the loan. So none of this is about luck. All of it is about actions you took, conscience of what they meant, right? Right? And, and, and I understand the things people say about how student loan debt is onerous and it, it causes people to postpone marriage and family. and how, I get it. I'm sure it does. But all debt is onerous. All debt is lifestyle affecting. And a lot of people with all kinds of debt have remorse and regret about it. I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't financed this. But now you have to pay. Clay is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Clay, good afternoon.
5: Well, I I could be wrong on this, but it's my understanding that if a business forgives a debt of another business, they have to report that as income. So, I mean, we can forgive all this college debt just send it to the IRS and make them pay income taxes on it because that's what it is. It's money you've given them.
0: Yeah, well, if you're thought. trying to do it for political gain, you're certainly not going to do it that way.
5: <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but the, other than that, no. You, you sign on the dotted line, unless you were coerced or there was fraud involved, you got to pay it. I mean, that's just all there is to it.
0: Well, you know, I think in a way the whole thing is fraudulent because you, you tell people, you tell hardworking people, and I'm talking about parents too, Oh, it's a sure thing. This degree is like an ATM machine. They're going to a good school. They're going to have a good degree and a and network. And we we have misled people uh, about the idea yeah, that there is no that? way you can miss with a college degree.
5: Yeah, how much of that is the fault of businesses that advertise? We pay for college degrees, and then they never do. It's you know, there's and it's and it, it is fraudulent. I agree with what you're saying, but that spreads out over the whole community right. there's so many right. so many businesses that do that right that they don't pay extra if you have a degree but they tell you they do right and they want to they want that lie right and no, uh, no, I, I, hear you. Just, I don't think they should be forgiven it. it it should i don't think the government should be in the loan business anyway
0: <laughs> but okay clay thank you sir uh, i appreciate right. it let me get to another one here art is on 550 and 1071 ktsa art good
6: afternoon Hey, good afternoon. My name's Art, the artist. I'm the perfect candidate. I'm in the hole, negative twenty five thousand dollars in student loan debt. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I want to start off there. Uh, basically, I, I just got. A, <clears throat> I'm an architect. I studied architecture, so I do see the advantage. Uh, I'm out there in the field. People who are studied versus people who did not go to school. And there's a difference, you know. You got your contractors that are, you know, hired on Craigslist, who didn't go to school, who can just blah blah blah, and then you got us who went to school and went and did the torture for code enforcement for everything to be appropriate up to code. So there's two sides of the story. We kind of so what is your
0: so what is your are you saying that the 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 debts should be forgiven? I'm not sure I understand.
6: Well, you know, I don't think they should be forgiven. I think that we should be given perhaps a match, uh, perhaps a 50-50 match, a contribution, kind of like Ross 401k, not as an employer would. Uh, perhaps uh, there's times when I do see people with a degree almost as a superhero because they're the ones who do things more appropriate rather than those who did not go to college. Anymore. When you say a
0: match, do you mean your employer should should – pay some of your loan, is that what you're saying?
6: Yeah, I think that would be a very great idea,
0: yes sir. But isn't your employer paying you anyway? I mean, they're paying you for the fact that you have a degree, that's your compensation.
6: Yeah, yeah, um, and I wanted uh, input, let's say, a nurse, an architect, and uh, I don't know, nurse and architect, uh, the nurse would have to go to school, get a degree, they would sacrifice themselves almost as a superhero, especially during COVID. Uh, and they're treating those who did not get the degree, and they're out there doing service uh, for those who don't have those special skills uh, that they just decided to waive and just go. Okay, home. but
0: any anything you do that gets you hired, okay, whether you get technical tra- technical school training or experience in the field, or you get a degree like you did in architecture. Your yes. your compensation is your matching. <laughs> that is your matching. You're being paid for your expertise. Why should your employer also specifically give you extra money for your loan? I don't understand.
6: Yeah, it, it is tricky because you're absolutely correct. Jesus. I mean, what if what if I worked alongside
0: you are? What if I was an architect like you and I worked next to you and I had the same degree you did but I had worked my way through college and not taken out loans? If the employer was giving you extra money for your loans, wouldn't I be entitled to some money from him too?
6: Well, yeah and there's also uh, a point where there's private practice involved. Uh, I guess I'm just kind of going off of being, let's say, an individual at 1099 uh, versus someone uh, who just gets a job, W-2s and works for a company. Um, it, it's complicated uh, in the sense that it, having a degree, you, like you say, does give us an advantage as far as knowing more skills. Uh, for example, construction, knowing what our value is, which is a wall, what pertains in a wall. Um, and there is a mix of fairness and unfairness in the trade and there's kind of a clash there because it's like saying hey you don't have to go to school and you can do construction and leave it like that and then there's people who go to school who follow Mm -hmm. code enforcement who do it right for the public all right to set a standard for america
0: okay art thank you i appreciate (laughs) the call from you i hope you'll call again uh so uh david on facebook says the architect that just called was very insulting He writes, as a contractor, we know the code more often than not, more so than the designers, saying you have to go to college to know right from wrong is insulting, even more reason not to pay back the loans. President Biden is panicking uh, because he's losing young voters and the Democrats are underwater with them and can't possibly win anything without them. So they are doubling down on this forgiving student loan debt idea even though it, it, we all know it will worsen inflation it will increase uh college costs which means we will be uh making what i think most people agree is a pretty bad situation worse it even is uh, from from something the democrats usually say they care a lot about it's bad from an equity standpoint because it disproportionately helps or favors Uh, upper-middle-income and upper-income families. Uh, Well over half the student loans that would be forgiven would be forgiven for those kinds of people. It's going to be spun as if it is this blue-collar, Main Street kind of thing, but it's not. Um, And if we think that there's a certain scam or, or unfairness to the high cost of higher education. This is literally the worst thing you could do about it. If you c- care about that stuff or you want to do something about it, you have to deal at the other end of it. We have to do things that, that affect and drive down uh, the cost of higher education so that the loans would be smaller or people wouldn't take them. But this is, this is purely election year politicking. 210-599-5555. Chris is on the radio. Chris, good afternoon.
5: Good afternoon, Jack. Absolutely not. They should pay that back. They made the loan. They should pay it back, uh, in my opinion. I have two daughters who have master's. One has a law degree. They paid their self, and I paid the balance.
0: um what do you mean that they they, so they did not take they did not take loans
5: no they they worked their way through college what they couldn't provide i provided And one went to law school which i paid for but if you make a loan like that i don't think it's right to for to for anybody to pay for it to made the loan pay it back that's
7: my opinion
0: all right chris thank you uh jay is on 550 and 1071 ktsa hello jay
7: Cody, on a side note, you had a a caller before that was talking about how the businesses say they'll pay you for your degree and then they don't. Um, I remember about five years ago, the businesses approached schools and said, teach STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. Those are the courses we need. Those are the jobs. Um, My kids are going to high school, and now it's STEAM science technology arts engineering and math um and i i asked some teachers i know and they're like oh yeah the businesses want an arts view on all this stuff too <laughs> and then i talked to some of the people that i know that are in the technology industries uh-huh. engineering yeah. things like that and they're like no it's uh, no. it's still stem yeah uh and the schools are they're they're putting a spin on it that this is what we want to teach, so this is what you're going to need out there, and that's not what I'm seeing.
0: I mean, I think that's a bigger problem. I, I really do. I, I think you should go into the pursuit of a college degree with your eyes wide open, not only about what it's going to cost and how you're going to pay for it, but what it will really mean in the working world. Um, yeah. if you're majoring, cause Absolutely. if you're majoring in something just because you like it or it's interesting, that's just, the, that's not the way this works.
7: Oh yeah. I told my kids, yeah. uh, you know, if, if you really think that this is where you need to be as in like, uh, you know, uh, an arts degree, you better get a strong major in something technology so you can yeah. afford to yeah. eat when you get out. Yeah.
0: Jay, thanks for the call tonight. I appreciate it. Big news in the science world today, Dennis. Oh. Until today, it was believed that only humans knew the difference between odd and even numbers. Of all the living things on Earth, only humans knew that. Huh. According to the journal Physics, honeybees also can tell the difference between odd and even numbers.
1: Hmm. Huh. So I wonder if any of the honeybees have an issue when there's an odd number. You're like, I need to find one more. I need, I need to make well. An that's the number. thing.
0: They actually do. They they sort tasks uh, in studying them. Apparently, they sort out their tasks by dividing into even uh, numbers.
1: Hmm, so that's interesting.
0: I I don't know what we can do with that. I'm thinking about maybe having uh, them do my taxes next year. I don't know. Maybe see how we can work that out. But anyway, something you can drop into your. Dinner time conversation to sound smart honeybees and humans, the only known animals that can tell the difference between odd and even and uh, they actually are ahead of us because none of them have any student loan debt but what about that? The president wants to forgive it, well I don't know if he wants to or not he always talks about they, right Uh, Joe Biden always says they won't let me do this and they want me to leave and they said I can only take two questions so whoever's running the show because apparently he's not even sure um this is the new we 're going to save the youth vote by forgiving student loan debt. it's popular with the squad. Uh, they're hoping that it will pull well, that it might uh, improve their prospects in the midterms, and I don't know, maybe it will. Uh, I, I don't think they realize how deeply cynical this will make people who are already <laughs> deeply cynical. Because there's a, another factor to this. We talked about the equity. We talked about the inflationary effect. We talked about what we'll do to drive up tuitions. But this also um, plays into that whole, am I a sucker for following the rules? You know, we've just come through two years where all kinds of government actions waived uh, you know you had rent and you had rent moratoriums and eviction moratoriums and or moratoria, i guess, and you had all these things that were carve outs and and exceptions and I think people are getting tired of as they see themselves i did I did this the right way or I did this the hard way, or I followed the rules or I put the sweat in, and now you're going to tell me that somebody else is going to get the same outcome without the same sweat, or sacrifice, it makes people cynical. And a cynical society is unable to do a lot of other things. A cynical society divides. People are 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 at each other's throats. And politicians are fine with that, but you and I should not be fine with that. I mean, they don't care how disunited or divided we are because they can use that. They can put that to work. But we have to live in this society, and we don't. 210-599-5555. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So facing some pretty grim poll numbers, this is what they're uh this is what they fished out of the trick bag. And I want to know what you think about it. And um, Steve is next on KTSA. Steve, good afternoon.
1: Hey Jack, how you doing?
0: Good, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Um brief history. I've I've never been to college. I went to the Air Force. Uh, right after high school. And then after that, I went to paramedic school, um, which I paid for myself and which is now 34 years later, 10 times the cost uh, that it was when I went for both books and tuition. Um, but the the thing I've never heard discussed when they talk about loan forgiveness is what if the day after loan forgiveness, I decide I want to go to college what happens to my student debt?
0: Um, you lost me on that last part. Explain what you mean.
1: Well, I mean, they're going to forgive existing student debt, but what about future oh. student
0: debt? Oh, okay. So, in other words, could you take out a loan with the with the knowledge or expectation that you wouldn't pay it back?
5: I, that
1: would be the assumption, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of like the uh, the old line about the Vietnam War: Who wants to be the last one to die for a mistake? Like, how do you get people to pay the debts, uh, the loans, rather, going forward if a whole category of people had them forgiven?
1: Well, I I, I wouldn't have any hurry when it came to paying my student right. loans right. if it's already been all forgiven. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think it would even translate to people's attitudes towards other kinds of debt? Of course so someone could say uh, hey I have this I have this other debt that's really heavy and it's crushing me and I didn't know what I was doing, and I want some politician to forgive this too well,
1: I mean the used car market, the prices are uh, through the roof. Real mm-hmm. estate is through mm-hmm. the roof. Um, shouldn't I get some relief from those things?
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the argument on the other side of this, Steve, would be that the government has all kinds of programs, right? And you know this. I mean, the government gives gives uh, money away for solar panels and... Uh, all, all kinds of things. So somebody could say, well, you know, a student loan debt forgiveness program is just another It's just another government benefit. Why be so against this when you're okay with all those other things the government does to incent people? Who said I was? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, mean, I
5: mean, you know, it, it, the
1: tax law should not be written to motivate behavior. Tax law should be written... To pay the government's bills. That's it.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's not supposed to be reward or punishment. Great call, uh, Steve. Thank you so much. I appreciate having you, and I appreciate the work you do as a first responder too. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. James is on KTSa. Hi, James.
8: Hey,
9: Jack. How you doing? Good. Uh, I've got. A, I'm kind of in the middle of this. I've got a son that just started college and a daughter who's going to be a senior. They're both in the top 5% of their class. They, you know, my son got a half a ride, and it's still costing me $10,000 a year or a a semester for him to go to college. Mm. Is is the government going to pay my mortgage? And it doesn't make any sense. This administration is so... uh, talks about root causes so much, why don't we talk about the root causes and why college costs so much as it is? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. up 600% in the last 20 years. It makes no sense. They're pricing everybody out of it. It shouldn't cost $60,000 a year to go to college.
0: Well, I mean, colleges have absorbed all the money that politicians throw at them. That's why tuitions have gone up. That's why the the growth of uh, administrators is much higher than the growth of actual classroom teachers in colleges. I I, I, I think you're right. We should deal with the, the problem of why it costs so much. Why, why it was easier when we were young to work your way through college and why that is much harder, if not in some cases impossible, uh, to do now. Um, but I also like what you said about, well, m- if I am paying for my kids to go to college, Why doesn't the government give me a break on other things or other kinds of debt? See, I think this is really a kind of get everybody on the teat. This is a way of of making more people more dependent on politicians, don't you think? I mean, the other guy said, well, what about future college loans? I I imagine this is a a baby step to getting um, universal free college.
9: And and I agree, and it it scares the, the, the hell out of me.
0: So I think we have to you know we have to draw a line somewhere and I think this is a good place to draw it um and 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 then and then you'll never otherwise you'll never deal with the higher tuition costs and all the other inflated books and everything else you'll never deal with that if you keep pouring more government money in of course they'll they'll absorb it they'd be stupid not to right
9: uh, yeah I, I just, it's it's insane how much uh, I'm I'm a little I'm about your age, and the cost of what it cost me to go to college and what it's costing my kids right. is insane.
0: Yeah, no, it it's, really it's, is. It's
9: it really un- is. It's, unex- it's unsustainable.
0: I mean, you and I and were in college thirty thirty something years ago, and it's gone up so exponentially that when we tell our kids, when I tell my daughter how I paid for college, it sounds like I'm describing the 1700s. <laughs> you know, I might as well have paid for it in shells.
9: And that's why they're dragging this debt around because they can't yes. afford it. It's insane, right?
0: right. Now I hear you. Thank you for the call, James. Um, I remember when I, I went to Boston University, which is in the city of Boston. It's an urban university. It doesn't have a. It's not like a UIW big, beautiful green campus. It's an urban college. When you're at Boston University, it's all around you, and it doesn't. It's just buildings. Anyway, long story short, um, one of the things they tell you when you go there. Is and I don't know if this is still true, it was true when I went, and it was true for quite a while after I went, they were the largest single land owner in the city of Boston. They were the number one landowner in the city of Boston. Now, you know Boston's a very expensive city. It's also a very um, crowded city because it's surrounded by water on three sides, so it's, there's, there's, there's no more land. Land is at a premium. Imagine how wealthy a college would have to be—not an insurance company, not a Fortune, you know, one hundred company, not some billionaire. The number one landowner was a university, not even a prestigious endowed one like a Harvard either. So I I just think for too long politicians incurring favor with people, with voters, have been funneling money to higher education, and they've made the costs higher. Riding to the rescue and saying, now we want to help you with that is ironic. You're the ones that made it this way. You're the ones that created this dilemma. And I agree that it is a dilemma. I have a daughter about to go to college. It's a dilemma. I've scrimped, and I've saved, and I know I don't have enough. And I can't believe I don't have enough, but I know I don't. 599 Should the government forgive them? Or some of them, or all of them, or from now on, or just in the past? And like the gentleman said, if you forgive the ones in the past, what are you saying to a person that applies for one today or tomorrow? We ask a poll question on every show every day, and At the end of the show, we have the numbers, but uh, we're actually talking about that poll question right now. Are you for or against uh, student loan forgiveness, so-called? And I want to get your thoughts on that and um, maybe your situation if you're in it. Uh, I, I do think that we can probably all agree on a couple of things. It's gotten very expensive ridiculously expensive inexplicably expensive to get higher to to get a degree Uh, we are incenting young people to get any degree we're not doing this in a let's make a shrewd investment mentality you know you wouldn't buy a stock because you liked the name of the company well maybe some people would i mean i I know people that bet on horses because they like the, the color of the horse, but obviously you're not winning a lot of money if you're doing that, right? You're you you you're shrewd and pragmatic when it comes to things like buying stocks or investing your money, and it gives you a higher rate of return. It's not a sure thing, but you can always say, I, know, I knew what I was doing or I knew why I did this or did that. We don't have that attitude toward college degrees. We get all romantic about them. We shouldn't. We should not push everybody into college. I think we could all agree on that. It's not for everyone, and we don't need a society full of people that know the theories and nobody that knows how to turn a wrench. We have a proven shortage of people in the trades. And even within uh, careers that require college training, we have areas where we're way overpopulated and over here way underpopulated. So I just, I think there needs to be some pragmatism and some planning. I think we ought to be honest with young people and their families. If, if John here is interested in a particular degree or particular field, there ought to be good data on what the prospects are in that field. Not now, because he's not going into it now. What will the prospects be over the next 10 or 20 years? What are the projections? And I don't want them from the people in that industry because they're going to cheerlead for their industry. I want to know from somebody who has no skin in the game, what are the prospects? John here wants to be a such-and-such. He wants to go to this school, get this degree, invest this much money, or borrow it. What are the prospects? We should be smart about it. And we're not. If we keep going to the government and asking them to put more money into higher education, expect the price to go up. Just like defense contractors charge way, you know, charge the Pentagon way more for something than we would pay for it at Home Depot because they know they can get it, colleges are going to keep charging based on all that available government money. And if we could be smart about these things, there would be fewer people with lesser debt. Omar is at 210 599 5555 on KTSA. Omar, good evening.
5: Good
10: evening, Jack. How are you doing?
0: Good. How are you?
10: I'm pretty good. I just this the bad idea for to forgive that that debt, and you know they're gonna you know if there's any chance you know they'll they'll do it if they can, but hopefully they can you know do do it for the uh, degrees that were that actually produce something or make somebody that uh, employable. You know, not not just anybody and everybody, but I'm sure that's the way the route is going to go. But for people that did take a loan i did um you know if they're gonna if they're gonna forgive these these other debts then let me take my total cost of going to school and knock down my taxable income for Mm -hmm. five years and Mm make it it, you know let's even this thing out because this is Mm -hmm. not uh you know you were talking about a a minute ago you know that's going to cause some uh you know people to be well i bet you're one of those people that got their their loans forgiven that kind of you know the cynical thing and it just it right that is going to happen, big time.
0: Yeah, well, and just the idea of making people that didn't go to college pay for <laughs> people who did is is that's dangerous. Um, but I, I, you know, I was thinking while you were talking about the word reparations, which is another very popular word with politicians. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the 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 class of people who took loans and already paid them off will say, "Whoa, wait a minute, I want reparations." Yeah, yeah. So where does it end? Where does it end? Of course, the politicians will say it doesn't have to end anywhere. We'll, we'll gladly come up with more money. Thanks, Omar. 210 uh, 599 Matt's on the radio. Hi, Matt.
8: Hey,
0: Jack. How are you this evening? Good. What do you think about all this?
8: Man, I tell you, I, I really can't even believe we're having the discussion and the questions come up. I clearly uh, think it's a horrible idea uh, for for many reasons. I think I'm about your age. If you were to go back when I was looking at college and, you know, going to pay my way through school, I had options. And the options were get student loans, go to a public school, go to the military. So I opted to go in the military and went to one of the service academies, um, looked, hey, I'm going to go to school out of state, and I get paid to go there, Work my tail off, got, you know, made a career out of what otherwise, you know, with government support, you might say, but in a way where I paid back that to the mm-hmm. government. And mm-hmm. look at where we are today with the military and how many ways we could incentivize, not just give you money, but let's let you you do this and I'll do this. But mm-hmm. that did not happen anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I I don't think that would appeal to the politicians because they want to give a lot more money to a lot more people. They don't just want to uh, incent people who would serve... In the military. And see, the problem with anything that you and I would come up with, it would be logical. We would be thinking logically. But if you're a politician, you're just trying to maximize that how many people can I make indebted to me and, and feel, uh, you know, uh, grateful to me or, or adoring of me. And that's, that's going to lead to the worst kinds of programs we've ever seen.
8: Absolutely. I mean you're just asking you're just asking to give money away and of course you're Well you're buying votes. That,
0: you're buying votes.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And and so people are gonna jump at it, of course, but your comments about, you know, the cynicism that's gonna come from it, those who have paid their dues before and they're not gonna pay those and what about those in the future? I mean you brought out so many topics that it, it just the fact that we're having the discussion. I it, it truly I can't believe where we even are today no. that we're no. having to have the discussion.
0: I find myself saying that about a lot of things. <laughs> A lot yeah, of our discussions, I, 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 I think, how are we even talking about this?
8: Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, Matt, thank you. Appreciate having you. Appreciate your call. Thank you. KTSA News at 636. Jack Riccardi on KTSA. Later in this half hour, the results on our Stevens Roofing Jr. poll question. It was another weekend of panic and meltdown over um, Twitter and the apparent control of Twitter that Elon Musk will have at some point. He hasn't actually done anything. Nothing has happened to Twitter. But there is this... Uh, you know, sort of heavy breathing and sweating and eyes bulging panic. There were these shows on CNN and MSNBC about how it's the end of the world. And um, if they were reacting to something he had done, that might be one thing. But the fact that he hasn't even done anything, it's kind of like when, remember when you were a kid and you had done something wrong and you weren't sure if your parents knew and then your dad or mom said, uh, I'd like to talk to you. And that could have been about a hundred things, but you were sure they were about to hit you between the eyes with this thing you had done or tried to get away with or, you know, whatever. I, I To me, what we're seeing right now is people who had it made on Twitter, Facebook, Google, YouTube, they had it made. The game was fixed. The books were cooked. They knew other people were getting mistreated, unfairly treated, deplatformed, censored, shadow banned, but they knew it wouldn't happen to them because their peeps were on the inside. And, you know, their peeps will still be on the inside, probably, but, but now this Musk guy, just the way he's talking, is making them feel like, their their salad days are over. Here's a guy on CNN. His name is David Zerowick. He's described as a media analyst. Ab just totally wetting himself over the prospect of Elon Musk controlling Twitter. Take a listen to
2: this. No, I think there's a bigger problem that when we focus on the personalities of people like Elon Musk and people say, oh, I think Elon's thinking this or that. There's a bigger problem here about how we are going to control the channels of communication in mm-hmm. this country. In 1927, we had the Radio Act. 1934, the Communications Act. Congress stepped in. We made rules. FCC wasn't great, but it's still regulating the broadcast industry. You can't right. use vulgar language. You can't do all these things with speech. We gave over our uh, what amounts to our airwaves or our Internet waves to Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk. And we are in so much trouble because those guys believe in making money. We've already seen that with the 2016 election in mm. Zuckerberg when he was taking rubles for ads from Russia and say oh I think it's crazy to think they had any influence on this election. Mm. Musk is the same. Musk doesn't want it. Oh, you know, he's upset with the SEC, tried to, how dare they question him, you know what I'm saying? This is dangerous. We can't think anymore in this country. We don't have people, no, I'm serious, we don't have people in Congress who can make regulations that can make it work. I think we can look to the Western countries in Europe for how they are trying to limit it. But you need, you need controls on this. You need regulation. You cannot let these guys control discourse in this country, or we are headed to hell. We are there. We are, Trump opened we the are headed to hell, and now, now they're chasing us down.
0: We we're, we're headed to hell. It's like be, It's like it became a revival meeting. We're headed to hell um the the deal about the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission regulating radio back when radio came along, you know, they regulated radio stations on technical matters like wattage and signal coverage you had to you had to demonstrate that you carried programming relevant to your community. It was easily done, still is. They did not, and there is no comparison between regulating people on the internet because you don't like them or you don't like their opinions or you don't like how they vote and the licensing process for radio and television stations with the FCC. I mean, there's no comparison. Only an ignoramus would say that or somebody who thinks you're an ignoramus and he can get away with it. I also love the part about um, we cannot have these guys, these people control the discourse. I'm going to let you in on a secret. The discourse has been under control all along. Where was their concern before? Where were the big exposes on Zuckerberg or Dorsey or names we don't even know that aren't even household names that are, that are wielding and holding the power? And not just wealthy guys or, 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 um, moguls, but nameless, faceless, you know, parts of the apparatus, if you will, that are the reason you wound up in Facebook jail or you got booted out of Twitter or whatever it might be. You know, care about it. Show me you've always cared about it, and then I'll believe you care about what Musk is going to do. But if you only just now care, that means you were part of the in-crowd before, and you're a joke. I'm sorry you're scared. Change your underwear. Now, there was a story today in the news about a public uh, school, an elementary school in Washington, D.C., called Jannie Elementary School that gave um, students in grades pre-K through third grade um, a um, what's called a fist book. And membership, every kid got membership in the Anti-Racism Fight Club. And the fist book, it's called Anti-Racism Fight Club Fist Book, refers to the raised fist, right? And it says to these kids, now remember, these are third grade and under, white people are part of a society that benefits them, It's as if white people walk around with an invisible force field because they hold all of the power in America. And the book also teaches kids how to identify and report to their school racist members of their own families. You know, I've asked this question before. I'm thinking of our caller, Steve, when he said, I, you know, some of these discussions we have, I can't believe we're having. You know, the next thing that will happen in this story is that the school will come out and say, either that was a mistake, or you've misinterpreted what we're doing, or the news didn't get it right. It's always some mistake. It's never, ever, yeah, we own it. We're doing that. That's us. Right, The whole thing with CRT was always that, that head fake thing where, no, we're not. Oh, we are? Well, it's not like you say. Why is the mistake always one way? Always their way. The Fist Book makes a lot of incredible assertions. If you hate Kaepernick, you'd have hated Dr. King if he was alive today. So Colin Kaepernick, Martin Luther King, same thing. Again, third grade and under. I want to play for you, because I think this is very interesting. Uh, there was a uh, there was some congressional testimony um, about critical race theory the other day, and Congressman Hakeem Jeffries of New York, who is in the House leadership, in fact, the next time the Democrats have a majority, he'll probably be the Speaker of the House. He's an African-American congressman from New York City. Um, he asked the man testifying about um, Justice Clarence Thomas. He challenged the guy. And the guy responds in a way that completely stymies and stumps Hakeem Jeffries. This is a conversation about race. I want you to hear this. Take a listen.
2: You know, my distinguished colleague from Texas just made the observation uh, that Justice Thomas has been subjected to a high-tech lynching. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, And I believe, uh, Mr. Powell, you've echoed a similar sentiment. I think your quote is, many on the left hate Justice Thomas because he is a black conservative who has never bowed to those who demand that he must think a certain way because of the color of his skin. What evidence do you have to support that uh, incendiary charge? Uh, When Chairman Uh, Benny Thompson calls him an Uncle Tom because of his views on voter ID and affirmative action when in fact more black Americans support voter ID and uh, with respect to affirmative action in college education, they're 62% opposed to it. So, So that is the most vile, disgusting thing you can say. And, 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 so, yes, Recla- that's, that's, that's the evidence. reclaiming that's the my evidence time, just reclaiming, reclaiming my time. Yes. There are a lot of vile, disgusting things that can Will be Will you just carried. ask me for an example? The, the notion that that is, right? When some members on this side of the aisle and others have been called the N-word. Throughout okay, hold on, hold on, hold, hold on. So,
0: of- so he challenges the guy. The guy's name is Mark Paoletta. He challenges the guy. He says, where's the proof that, that Clarence Thomas has been subjected to ugly, uh, racist, uh, language? The guy gives him examples. Well, (laughs) we've heard a lot of bad things. See, there is um, not a discussion about race in our country. There is a cudgel about race in our country. Race can be used only by people who want to make a particular point. But if you're the victim of racism or you're... uh, Motives are maligned because of the color of your skin, if somebody says you're not voting correctly for an African-American or a Hispanic-American or a Mexican or Cuban-American or an Asian-American, well, then, ah, wait a minute, that's different. uh, uh, Look over here. Don't look over there. I, um, I get that we as adults, like, we can have these discussions, we can kind of bounce off of each other. Those two can go at each other hammer and tongs in a in a uh, congressional hearing room. But it's vile that we would be raising children. And I, I look at the CRT discussion like this fist book they're giving in the elementary school in D.C. A lot of people are gonna look at that and say I don't want white kids told that they're racist or turned into snitches but i also don't like w- what this book says to black children that white people have a force field around them that they're 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 doomed by their skin color that they're entering a life and a world that's rigged that they shouldn't trust make friends with eat lunch with people of other races that 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 if somebody is not your race, they are your enemy, they are outside your experience, they're outside any ability to sympathize with you, or understand you, or appreciate you. We, we gotta make sure we're careful about this. This is a, a disservice to children of all colors, not just children of one. News Time is 6.55 on the JR Poll. Powered by Stevens Roofing, the question was are you for or against President Biden's plan to forgive student loans. 91% were against. 9% were for such a plan. We'll be talking more about it in the days ahead, I'm sure. And a new JR poll tomorrow. We get started at 4. There's always a poll question all throughout the show, but you can find the poll anytime at KTSA.com. Find our show anytime there, too. Hey, um last week, Ford began actually building one of the most anticipated new vehicles, the F-150 Lightning all-electric pickup truck. They have 200,000-plus pre-orders for the F-150 Lightning. And it's interesting. I was reading on one of the blogs, one of the car blogs I like to follow, they're making some people who uh, buy them sign a contract forbidding you from selling it for at least a year they're trying to do as much as they can to not let the market go haywire they're ford is putting a lot of restrictions on dealers about markups and stuff like that because people are already you know going to pay dearly to have one of the first F150 lightnings but now they're going to say to some customers you 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 cannot resell it for the first year that you have it and I'm wondering if that's even enforceable or how that'll work but uh, anyway If you're getting one, expect that. Um, You heard a lot lately, especially with the war in Ukraine, about drones, right? And we think of drones generally as uh, unmanned aerial vehicles, but there is also a great deal of interest in undersea drones. And the Defense Department and its uh, shadowy agency known as DARPA has actually been working on something called the Manta Ray Program, developing essentially mechanical, militarized manta rays, uh, or unmanned underwater vehicles (UUVs) that could operate on long duration, long range missions. Now you know manta rays are a fascinating in the, in nature, fascinating animal. Um. They're actually in the shark family, I think, if I remember correctly. They live in only certain kinds of waters, uh, but everybody knows them and has heard about them. Well, apparently DARPA borrows their design and name, but something that could operate in all kinds of waters do all kinds of things. Just imagine that. (laughs) I, I mean, it was bound to happen, right? Last great frontier, underwater. So, yeah, mechanical, militarized manta rays would be launched from a host vessel capable of operating for extended durations. And um, they're saying they're developing them, but you know what that often means is they already have them, probably. Hey, I'll see you back here tomorrow night at 4.